0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch, Shot or locking down the opposition, the two way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two way for yourself at newbalance.com.
2: Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Contagno alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivans, and it is Tuesday, February 21st, 7.40 a.m. Central Time, 8.40 a.m. Eastern Time. The boys are back in the saddle, and Drew, the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've been recording Wednesday's episode or Thursday's episode both on Wednesday. Typically it goes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I miss you guys. I miss Drew. I miss producer Lance. We don't we don't spend as much time with each other, but Drew, nice little corporate holiday, kind of out of nowhere. Get a text on Sunday, hey, President's Day. You got it off, worked a little half day, got got the front nine at Highland Park here in Birmingham, shot a 54. Hey, I'm still working on the putting. How about you, man? I know you uh, you had a little entertainment yesterday on on, on uh, President's Day, didn't you? I did, Coop. It's funny,
3: you know. I was texting a college contact, and I was actually out with a few guys that work in the industry over the weekend, and they were they were saying I don't think a college staff around the country is working this Saturday. Um, and then one of one of the other guys texted me February might be the best month on the recruiting calendar, and I agree uh normally we have camps going on seven on seven tournaments that starts this weekend kind of the camp circuit so it was nice to just get a few days off i went out on the boat went to a florida panthers game i did it all man i I got a nice tan going i know we're not on video today but no it's it's been fun to kind of kind of catch up on the film but not be under the gun uh and just work at your own pace so i'm all for february we need more months like february um coop. And I know that's going to allow you to play a little bit more golf.
2: I can tell, man, you got a little bit more Zen to you today. It's going to be a very (laughs) laid back episode, but drew a lot, a lot to talk about. I mean, we were kind of searching for storylines. What do we talk about this week? And there was enough that transpired, I think over the weekend, not only from a a, a one or two names coming off the board and committing and maybe some crystal balls and maybe uh, the direction of some recruitments that from a big picture standpoint that are going to have Certainly, a big ripple effect in in college football. But let's start in Knoxville with Tennessee. And I know one of the topics that you and I talked about with this 2023 cycle with the Volunteers was what they've done on the defensive side of the football. It looks like they've started to carry that over in 2024. Right now, Tennessee has a number 15 ranked recruiting class in the country, number nine in 2023. And they pick up a big commitment from an in state product and Marcus Gorey Jr., a guy that we have listed as an athlete, you can kind of put him in that corner safety uh, mold. It would be interesting to see what Tennessee does with him. But a guy that's very, very strong run support defender, physical at the point of attack. I think the only question mark we had is from a man-to-man pass coverage standpoint, kind of where does he fit? And this is a guy that you know has a little bit of uh, a two-way production and he just, I think, growth potential is another question that we have. But outside of that, I mean, in terms of competitive temperament, the way he plays the game, football instincts—they all kind of pop on tape. And then you add him with a guy like Caleb Beasley, who I know you and I really like, Andrew, and not to mention Tennessee sitting in a good spot for Boo Carter, who's a guy that you've gotten to see live and personal. So when you take all that under consideration, what Josh Heupel has done, not only on the offensive side of the ball, but I really like Tennessee's outlook over the next couple of years on defense too.
3: I think I've been saying this now for well over a year. Um, Big picture, right? So there's one commitment over the weekend. And, uh, you know, I can't remember the last time there's been a five, six, seven day stretch where we've seen one power five commitment. But again, everyone is on vacation. So there's not a lot of like movement, no visits going on. Uh, I think a lot of guys are poolside or spending time with their, their family. So there hasn't been much. But to me, you know, I look at the site and I'm like, all right, Tennessee adds another defender. You pop on the tape, and, and Marcus is a kid I saw at the Battle Miami event a few weeks ago down here in South Florida. I got to see him move around. Uh, I like him as an inside corner, but I think he could probably play all four or five positions in the secondary. And and to me, all right, what the, what's the big picture here? Well, I think Tennessee continues to reload on the defensive side of the football and, and we know they're going to score points with, with Josh Eipel and uh, that offense and, and Nico coming in, Nico Iemal, the, the the quarterback, and they're going to throw it around the yard, but they have to get better on the defensive side of the ball. And if you really go back to that 2021 recruiting class, followed by the 2022 recruiting class, and then this 2023 recruiting class, they are stacking talent on defense and it might not be a, a bunch of five stars, a bunch of top 64 players, but, I have. It's been a while since they've had a defensive take where I kind of scratch my head and go, "Hey, like, what what are they doing here?" And and Marcus Cooper, you brought it up. Physical striker. I, you know, I, I'm kind of concerned a little bit about maybe how big he is, but uh, great against the run. 54 tackles last season. 11 pass breakups. Two interceptions. One of them was a pick six. You start reading uh, different stories about him. I guess he's ran in the 4-4 range, or that's what they claim in the 40 yard dash. But he's a versatile. Uh, back end defender, and, and to me, you know Tennessee just keeps taking these guys, and it's, it's guys that um, if they hit, you're going to have some some impact players, some multi year contributors in the back end, and I think that's the name of the game. So I like what Tim Banks is doing on defense, the defensive coordinator there. Uh, I think they have a, a vision, a, a plan. They continue to go into um, not only their backyard, which is where Marcus is from, but they're not afraid to go down and recruit in the Peach State, um, go into SEC territory and try to get some difference makers. So that, that's the big thing for me here. Tennessee, the trajectory continues or the arrow continues to point up uh, for that defensive unit.
2: I like what they did last year, too. I mean, it, they go to Louisiana, they get, a, a, I would say, a prototypical from a height, weight, speed standpoint prospect and a guy like Jordan Matthews right a little bit raw I think he needs some refinement at the next level Ricky Gibson out of Hewitt Trustville in Alabama a guy that I really really like I think's got a chance to be a very good player at the next level but Drew the guy that I kind of have circled in this class in 2024 I really like this Caleb Beasley kid you know I think he's got a chance to to really kind of work his way up the board a lot of ball production always around the football really good man-to-man cover skills And I know you've been a a, a proponent uh, of his for a while. but
3: Well, you you put on the highlight tape like the first eight plays are all interceptions, and I think a a few of them are pick sixes, right? It's like, why are they throwing at this guy? Uh, No, I like him. I I think I looked it up. He's averaging 19-9 and uh, on the hardwood this season. I mean, he's a big corner. I saw him in Orlando at the Pylon event. I've seen a lot of these high-profile or I should say uh, bigger-name corners I've seen them recently, kind of move around, and Caleb is one of my favorite.
2: Boo Carter, another name to to remember. That Andrew's seen, and I think Andrew, the the live evaluation has kind of spoken for itself in terms of uh, what you brought back from from seeing him in person. And another guy that I think's a, a potential versatile secondary defender if he does end up uh, taking his talents to Knoxville. So Tennessee, right now, uh, a team to watch. Drew, one more thought.
3: Yeah, I was just going to point out. I mean, right talking about Tim Banks turning that defense around. Uh, Go back to 2021, Tennessee, 99th in total defense, right? Uh, 90th in scoring defense, 101st in third down defense in 2022. uh, There's there's still, I think, 92nd in total defense, but scoring defense down to 36th, third down defense down to 32nd. And I was kind of peeking at that too deep for the volunteers and what they are going to have here on the field in, in 2023. And it's got a lot of guys that we liked coming out of high school. Josh Josephs, one guy I want to highlight. Someone we had in our top two, four, seven played 243 snaps as a true freshman, so about 20 a game, kind of as a a, a rushing outside linebacker. Um, finished the season: 12 tackles, two and a half sacks, or two and a half tackles for loss and a sack, a couple pass breakups, and just reading the reports heading into spring camp, they they seem to be super excited about Josh Josephs. Coop, I know we were texting about him. Not sure you really remember him coming out, but he's a guy I do. Um, he's a, he was a tweener. You know, is he a linebacker? Is he an edge rusher? Um, we didn't really know, but we loved the the data points on him: eighty-two inch wingspan, four-three in the shuttle, um, one hundred four tackles, six sacks as a senior there, playing outside of Atlanta, and that was a big win for the Volunteers. That Michigan was interested in Josh Josephs. Uh, Florida State got involved late. Um, and then you have more SEC programs, and Tennessee gets him in the boat. He plays as a freshman. Uh, looks like he's going to have a big role moving forward. So I think if Tennessee can keep finding guys like that, it might not be the cream cream of the crop, but they got guys with traits, guys with developmental upside uh, like Joshua Josephs. I, I think Tim Banks, that defense, it's it's only going to keep improving, and we're going to see him drop even, even lower in, in the statistics moving forward.
2: You're listening to the 24 seven sports football recruiting podcast. I'm going to make this announcement a little bit earlier in the show than I typically do, but guys, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show, anywhere you find your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify, make sure also to leave a rating as well. That certainly helps with us in the quote unquote algorithm. But Drew, let's go to the uh, big 10 and Dylan Rayola, the number one player in the country, And it's kind of interesting, kind of following his recruitment right now, but he picks up a crystal ball to Nebraska in Matt Rule last week from Mike Schaefer of Husker 24-7. And, you know, one one of the first coming in in terms of the crystal ball picks for Dylan Rayola in Nebraska. Right now, Georgia in the thick of it, USC also in the thick of it. To me, if Nebraska and Matt Rule can find a way to secure – dylan rayola it it completely changes the national perception of the program and not the way that it's viewed by us the media certainly it does but from a prospect standpoint as well i think this could be a huge boost obviously for nebraska not only on the field but just in terms of being able to generate buzz be back in that kind of mainstream news cycle and I don't know if there's a better place for him to go and to develop. Certainly, you could say USC with, with Lincoln Riley. That makes a lot of sense. But you got Malachi Nelson there, right? One of the, the top arms in the 2023 cycle. Georgia, it seems like he would be going into a room that would be wide open for him. But Nebraska, it, it kind of seems...
3: Go you got to point, point out Georgia's already got a quarterback committed. Now, I don't think that changes anything, but... I get where you're, where you're going here. Nebraska seems the easiest path to the field, correct?
2: And Ryan, P- Ryan Puglisi, right, uh, with University of Georgia, already committed out of the state of Connecticut in 2024. But you look, at, you look at Georgia, and there's not one arm that would scare a guy like Dylan Rayola away. I guess that's my point there. I think Nebraska, you kind of look at this situation and say, hey, I can be the guy here. And for a guy like Dylan Rayola, obviously he's got family ties to the program. Uh, a relative, who who is it? Is his uncle works in Nebraska? Yeah, um, I believe the offensive line coach. So, to me, I know it's early, and there and there could be a lot of twists and turns. Like this is what college football is all about. I would love to see Dylan Rayola in Lincoln. Yeah, Donovan
3: uh, Rayola is on staff. That's that's his uncle there in in Lincoln. Uh, I, I want to ask you this, Cooper, because when I started doing the show prep this morning. This this thought kind of popped into my mind, right? And I think when Matt Rule was introduced at Nebraska, and they they went to close out that 2023 cycle, and they went after a lot of track athletes, a lot of guys that a lot of people didn't know. Some of the fan base was kind of like, "What are, what are we doing here?" And and I think me and you and and others in the recruiting media are like, just just give him some time. He's gonna go find guys that. Have a chance to win on Sundays. And that's how they finish out that 2023 class. So I think there's initially probably some people um that that support Nebraska football that were wondering what they're doing. With that being said, Cooper, do you think Nebraska is in the mix for Rayola right now if Matt Rule is not there in Lincoln? I was kind of kind of pondering on that this morning as I as I walk the dog. Uh, you know, there are some other names out there, but I, I think Rule kind of has has taken the right approach to this from from the jump, and you know, brought a ton of coaches. What was it during that the, the January period? Nebraska, I think, had ten coaches at uh, Rayola school as a as a little show of force there. Uh, but they're going to get him back on campus. He's set to be on in Lincoln on, on March 25th. Steve Wiltfong, our our buddy, our colleague, he's reported that's the only visit lined up for Rayola. He was our number one overall prospect in the class of 2024. So. I guess putting you on the spot, I mean, do you think Nebraska's in the mix for Rayola if Matt Rule is not there?
2: It's situational, right? Like what is the alternative to Matt Rule? If, if if the answer is Scott Frost, I, I would say definitively no, right? Because we kind of saw this last year with Zane Flores, how that played out. Local prospect ends up signing with Oklahoma State. They kind of went back and forth. Should we get involved there late in the process? And point being is... Who knows, right? If, if if it's one of these other coaches like Lance Leopold, I don't know, right? But I I do think Matt Rules' pedigree from Baylor to Temple to even the NFL, if you want to call that a failed stint, I, I still think it holds a lot of weight in terms of player development. You know what's interesting, Andrew? When we had Lance Airline I know you were at Jimmy Buffett last week. But well, when first we had- off, first off,
3: great interview. It Must listen. I loved it, Cooper. You so did, uh, you did good.
2: Thank you. I, I want to point to this. We we talked about and why I thought it was important for us to have a guest like Lance Lanzerlein. If you haven't listened to that one and, and you're a scouting nerd, that's a, a really good episode to listen to. But we we're talking about roster building philosophy, and, and he was talking about how Georgia and Alabama specifically really don't there, – there's not a ton of differentiation between the way that they build their roster and the way that NFL rosters are built. But there was one other team that he mentioned there. He mentioned Matt Rule, and he mentioned Matt Rule's time at Baylor. He mentioned Matt Rule's time at Temple, and he talked about how Matt Rule was so relentlessly committed to this philosophy, talking about time speed, play speed, growth projection, right, which was a really interesting tidbit, how he talked about the business model that they had talking about hey at 16 17 years old they have this model that can project growth potential and Matt Rule was the guy that was super fascinated with that right and they were already working with Nebraska on that end so to me like no it's 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 not a surprise i think Matt Rule knows the way he wants to build it and i thought Matt Rule was the right fit for Nebraska for a multitude of reasons but the roster building philosophy was the one that was most important to me if you can build a winner in waco and, and and at temple with the same philosophy and it's very basic but you just have to be committed to it from a relentless standpoint what i mean by that is you have to have a standard operating and procedure at every position this is the standard this is what we want this is the size and athleticism profile if you do that well enough and then you put a guy like dylan rayola in the middle OK, now you, you give that guy some some opportunities, especially on the perimeter. So I can't wait to see what Matt Rule does in Nebraska. It's it's a really good job. But I do think it is one of the most difficult roster building jobs in the country, given geography, with the amount of expectations that you're going to have at Nebraska. And I think he's got to be a little bit outside of the box. So you, you talked about him going back to his bread and butter and track and field and just leaning on what he's always done and continuing to evolve. That's what I've always admired the most about Matt Rule. And the other part of this, man, he's been like, I don't remember this Matt Rule at Baylor, but he has been so active on social media, like a, a little bit more out there than I remember. And it's like give and take, right? Like some people say that that matters. Some people say it doesn't matter. But for a guy like him, that's been to the, the highest of the mountaintops in the NFL to come back and and say like, all right, I got to show a little bit of personality here. The game's changed in two to three years, and it's a lot different than it was last time around. So that's such a roundabout way of answering your question. (laughs) But I I guess what I'm saying, if there was any other coach, I don't know outside of a handful, if there's any other coach that has Nebraska in a better position for Dylan Rayola than, than Matt Rule.
3: Well, that, that's kind of the, what I'd settled on, and we should point out Matt Rule was on the 24-7 Sports College Football Recruiting Show. You can find that on the YouTube channel, not the YouTube page, uh, but he has done a lot of media. I would agree with that, and, and I think everything he's doing right now is probably calculated. I mean, if you read the features on him uh, from his time off following that stint with the Carolina Panthers, like I, I think he sat down with his wife and his people, and every, they're, they're following a playbook at this point, but... Uh, what just one more thing on on the Rayola and Nebraska Crystal Ball, and uh, again he's supposed to visit there at, when things open back up at at the end of March, and I'm assuming that's probably going to be tied in with the spring practice. But man, um, Rayola would I think kind of get Nebraska a seat at the table with maybe some prospects that they that they usually wouldn't be able to chase after. Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean, Rayola is a kid that obviously has that number one next to his name, the QB one next to his name. So receivers are going to know who they are. Um, and I think that's that's kind of sets up perfectly for Rule, right? He's still going to go after his guys. But uh, having a, a bell cow of a quarterback, a guy that's highly regarded, um, who has already been committed to Ohio State, like all those receivers know who he is. Like everyone knows who Dylan Rayola is. Uh, I think that uh, it allows them to maybe just just get a seat at the table um, and, and try
2: to get some of those guys in the boat. I expect them to be big players in the transfer portal too. I mean, you look at the job, what they've done this year, top 25 in the, in the transfer portal rankings, same at the high school level as well. I think that's kind of where they're going to live a little bit. A couple guys from Georgia coming over, MJ Sherman, Jacob Hood, Eric Gilbert, as well and then you talk about guys like like jeff sims right so uh jacob hood was the one that kind of stood out to me i i I totally forgot about him big six eight
3: lineman out of out of tennessee
2: but there you go right i mean we're talking about positions where those guys are a premium the the size athleticism combination if you're nebraska you just kind of got to patch it together right wherever you can find it get your hands on it so We'll see, man. We'll see what happens with Nebraska. But I certainly understand, like you can see their vision, and I think that's always important. You want you want to see a clear vision there. All right, Andrew. Let's um, to the Pac-12 and soon to be the the Big Ten. But Blair and Gulo, one of our favorites at twenty four seven Sports. If you've been following his work, that probably means that you've been following the recruitment of Deuce Robinson, the number one tight end in the country. Still yet to make a decision. Two thousand twenty three tight end, I should say. I know we're we're quick to move on to twenty twenty four, but Mr. Angulo has flipped his crystal ball pick from Georgia to USC, and we're expecting a decision, I think, sometime relatively soon with with Deuce Robinson, and this one has kind of gone back and forth. I know there are a couple hats at the table, but this seems to be a Georgia and USC battle. The longer that this has kind of played out, it seems like the pendulum has kind of uh, flipped over to the side of the Trojans. I mean, Drew, I was thinking about it this morning. Malachi Nelson, Zachariah Branch. You know, you talk about guys like like Makai Lemon, Walker Lyons, Deuce Robinson. What they've done at the running back position. You know, also guys like Quentin Joiner and Marion Peterson. Right, like they're in good shape there. From a skill position standpoint, I mean, this is very like Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma esque, and this has uh, this is on pace to be like what we've seen. Just a an elite group of skill players with a quarterback in the middle to make it go. And they're even doing it at the tight end position which is not a position that is you relatively think about with Lincoln Riley, right? And now you got guys like Deuce Robinson, Walker Lyons, and the good thing about those two guys, they're very different. Walker Lyons can give you a little bit of inline abilities, really well-rounded. I don't know if he does anything elite, but he does everything well. And then Deuce Robinson, one of the the best size athleticism pass catchers in the 2023 cycle to me andrew it always comes back i want to i want to highlight the positives first but if if usc can solidify their line of scrimmage play on both sides of the ball i mean these guys wow especially offensively the firepower there has a chance to to just go unmatched
3: embarrassment of riches in the huddle right it feels like someone is constructing a roster for an all-star game or a a roster on madden i mean zachariah branch you brought him up. malik makai lemon obviously malachi nelson the quarterback but walker Lyons, tight end Uh, you you would toss deuce robinson in there those guys are both different they can play off of each other quentin joiner we loved what we saw out of him out of the polynesian bowl Um, one of our favorite running backs big physical runner uh, you got Jacoby Lane. I think he's kind of the wild card of the group as a, a wide receiver but no man I mean that is that's is quite the unit. I mean that's what it's supposed to look like um if if you were to sit down and, and pencil it together. so uh, I, cooper, you're right. I mean we, we always bring it up line of scrimmage play point of attack players with with the USc but man you <laughs> you can't look at this group and and think that they're not going to score points moving forward um and that's what Lincoln Riley does
2: can the defense be good enough, right? That's that's kind of the question, and it's it's not really about Pac-12. Now it's about the Big Ten, right, which is a completely different stylistic of what you're going to see from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. And I like the fact that USC is going to the Big Ten because I think it's going to force Lincoln Riley's hand from how he's going to attack his roster building defensively. Like, it's just going to be so evident. And if it wasn't evident already twice against Utah this year, it's going to be more glaring, right? I mean, they're going to see a lot more 12 personnel, 13 personnel. It's going to be a lot more heavy. It's going to be fascinating to kind of see how USC, like I I want them to put this energy into the defensive side of the ball. And certainly guys like Braylon Shelby, Tackett Curtis are going to help. But just like we talked about... Go ahead.
3: Throw Sam Green in there. And, and and a lot of listeners are probably like, all right, who the heck's Sam Green? But D Lyman out of a St. Francis Academy, right? He, he flashed on tape, finishes a three star for us. But it, you bring up Tackett Curtis, linebacker out of Louisiana, Braylon Shelby, edge player out of Texas, Sam Green, guy from Baltimore. Like, I think in order for USC to get it to the point where we don't continue to bring up the, the fact that we're worried about the box players, is they got to keep recruiting nationally, those type of, of, of individuals. And that's what I'm kind of keeping my eye on, I think, for the 2024 24 cycle. Like, look, we know they can go get wide receivers from all across the country. They're going to go get skilled players, but, like, are they going to be able to get some dudes um, that are going to allow them to hang in a Big Ten conference that is kind of a smash-mouth brand of football?
2: I'm with you. I'm, I'm honestly, I, I love Lincoln Riley. I love what he brings to the table. I love what he's done at USC. I think we have this such a high standard for him. It, it says what type of coach he is. Going from good to great is very difficult, but I think if you're Lincoln Riley, the thing that stands out for me is like, hey, offensively, we're always going to be there. Like it, that that showed up. We're we're always going to be in the mix. We can play when it comes down to offense. Defensively. We got to go from like adequate to elite. So there are like two leaps that have to be made there for USC. And I I want to see them consistently like dive into that. Like, hey, we know we got to get better here. And to me, I don't know if we really saw that at Oklahoma. I don't know if we've seen that at USC, even though it's super early. But it's like, let's go get this right. Whatever we got to do is sell the
1: farm, get it right.
2: We're going to take a quick break. Keep it locked to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting
1: Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: Andrew, another interesting wrinkle, I guess. I don't know how much it plays into Deuce Robinson's recruitment, but we kind of talked about this and we highlighted it. Todd Munkin, former offensive coordinator for the University of Georgia. Well, he was being considered for a lot of uh, a couple vacancies in the NFL for the same position. Baltimore Ravens end up pulling the trigger and Todd Munkin is going to be the new offensive coordinator for Lamar Jackson. It seems right now we'll see what happens with that. Georgia kind of going the expected, predictable, boring route that you would expect. And especially when they have the talent that they do. They go ahead and promote Mike Bobo, who's an offensive analyst, obviously a guy that was OC under Will Muschamp at South Carolina. He was also the head coach at Colorado State. Bobo's kind of had a little bit of a, a peaks and valley career, it kind of seems to me at times. But I do think he is a good fit on paper. I completely understand this for Georgia. I'm not going to criticize this move. I think Kirby Smart, Todd Monk, and the job that he did there, and then with the continuity that they're going to have on the offensive side of the ball, they kind of know who they are. And I think Bobo being in the building, being under Todd and kind of seeing it, what works. What doesn't work? How to play to your quarterback strengths? Obviously, they're going to have a new guy next year. This makes sense. I, I'm not surprised by any of it. And if I was Kirby Smart, I think this was kind of the the most evident option uh, yeah. in, in terms of you know just making a quick decision, but also making the right decision.
3: I would be surprised if if there's much change to that offensive system, right? I think that would set back. Carson Beck and, and, and the other quarterbacks there who are um ready to, to take over for Stetson Bennett. Um so I I would anticipate it's it's kind of much of the same. I, I do think from a recruiting standpoint, though, this is this is pretty interesting. Um, both with Deuce Robinson and, and Dylan Rayola. Um Todd Monkin was in, involved to some degree in those recruitments. I don't think he's kind of he's not the one running point, um, but he's certainly is part of the conversation. So does that change things? Um, you know, I, I think what would really obviously hurt Georgia is if if something were to – if Todd Hartley were to go somewhere else, and I don't think that's the case, but you never know. I mean, he's a guy that's probably looking to move up the ladder as well. I, I think that could change a lot with how they've been recruiting the tight end position. So, so to me, I don't think it changes much. I think Georgia is slowly becoming into a position where we've won back-to-back titles. Um they can go recruit wherever they want as long as you got the logo on. So I'm not I, I'm here for the move. I mean, doesn't doesn't change much for me, but it, you know, we just talked about two five-star prospects Georgia is involved
2: with both of them and they're on the on the offensive side of the ball so it needs to be addressed in some way. Yeah, we do, we don't have to to overplay it here. The other thing that's interesting, how about John Harbaugh? Two coordinators, both from the collegiate ranks. Obviously, Todd Malkin has a little bit NFL experience. But I I wonder, like Jim Leonard, has got got an interview with the Eagles, right, for the defensive coordinator position. You see these kind of like pro-style coordinators. I wonder if we're, we're, we're going to start to see a trend here where it's not going to be like feeder, but I mean, if Tommy Reese has success at Alabama, right, and I'm just pointing to him and it's more of a traditional pro style which Saban has has kind of been used to, not in years past, but maybe trying to get back to a little bit more balance. Hey, if there aren't aren't the opportunities knocking for a guy like Tommy Reese in, in terms of being a head coach at Alabama, and we'll see how his tenure goes in Tuscaloosa. Todd Munkin, Mike McDonald, right? Defense coordinator from Michigan. I don't know, something to keep an eye on there. Jim Leonard, another guy that I'm thinking about. And the reason I say that, or go ahead, Drew. Well, I was gonna
3: say off road in here. You know, this isn't on the rundown, but Tommy Reese, you you bring him up. I mean, man, like has Alabama had an OC like him? That in in terms of his ability to recruit, like Tommy Reese recruited at Notre Dame, and and I know he's on the younger side, but I thought he always did an excellent job in in terms of just being part of the conversation, developing relationships with prospects all across the board. So. I I, I kind of get I don't want to say like excited but you know I think that's certainly something to keep an eye on at Alabama which obviously just signed an excellent recruiting class but I, I think he's a guy that is going to have some juice to him and, and and maybe more so since like Lane Kiffin uh, there in, in Tuscaloosa for for a coordinator.
2: Yeah, I can't wait to see kind of how that marriage shakes out under under Tommy Reese. I mean, you think about it, he spent his whole career at Notre Dame as a player, then as a coach, and then now making the transition down to the SEC, working for the greatest of all time and, and Nick Saban. And, you know, the other thing for Tommy Reese, I don't know if we if, if he took into consideration, but I mean, he goes down to, to Alabama and he's already got Julian saying one of the best signal callers already locked in, right? So it takes a little bit of pressure off in the 2024 cycle, and now he can just kind of focus ahead. We'll see what happens. Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow, we've talked a lot about Alabama's quarterback room on this show, but Andrew, another guy that I think kind of fits into this category that I think is a name, Bruce Feldman highlighted him when he came on the show. I think this is a name you got to watch over the next seven, eight months, Uh, and and that's Sharon Moore, now the full-time offensive coordinator after Matt Weiss, Matt Weiss, I believe. Matt Weiss. Matt Weiss. Weiss. Matt Weiss. Unbelievable. Matt Weiss. Uh Actually, is...
3: I'm just guessing on that. I
2: thought it was. Okay. okay. We'll go back to the we'll, – <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get producer Lance to take a, take a fact check into that. But uh, third play caller in three years, seventh in Harbaugh's at, at tenure in nine years. Sharon Moore, man, super impressive dude. Was around him when I was in Ann Arbor. He, he just came over from Central Michigan has worked with the tight end group, and Ann Arbor has also worked with the offensive line. The offensive line, one of the best groups in the country over the last two years. We've seen that, taking home the hardware. Uh, Michigan, not done. Also bring back Chris Partridge, good buddy of mine. He'll be the linebacker coach. George Hilo let go. And Partridge, we're going to talk a little bit about Sharon Moore, but Partridge, from a like recruiting standpoint, I know you and I have talked about, like, A back to back CFP appearances for Harbaugh and Michigan. Like, there's more meat left on the bone. You know, there should be more to show for the Wolverines. And I think that's very fair to say. And we can talk about, well, they're a developmental program. Well, yeah, sure. But they should be a top 10 recruiting program year in and year out. Out of all the places that I ever worked Oregon, Washington, Michigan, Alabama, nobody had more to sell than the university of michigan academic standpoint network standpoint athletic standpoint it's all there okay so even take the cfp appearances out of consideration the fact that these guys are not a dominant recruiting program and i mean like the 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 floor should be top 10 They should be in the mix every year for a top five program. That's what I believe in Michigan. And you could call it, well, hey, why aren't they recruiting that way? I don't know. I don't know. And listen, they're recruiting good players, and they're very good coaching staff, and they develop these guys. But imagine if they were doing that with elite-level talent year in and year out. They're super frustrating for me and i I, listen man i love everything that they have to sell and that university is so proud that fan base is unbelievable and they should be they they shouldn't be taking anything less than what they can get and to me like i said the the floor of that is like top 10 they should be in the mix for a top five class every year and people hey you want to be the best right the best is is the standard you know, Bo Schimbeckler, man, that's that's a guy that you're looking up to, right? That's the standard there at Michigan. That's what you got to do, man. They got to get it done on the recruiting trail if they're going to take that next step on the field. That's where Michigan's got to get better. Partridge is a dude that knows how to get it done. Not only New Jersey, Pennsylvania, the Northeast. He is an anomaly in the state of Georgia. I've never seen anything like it in my life. This guy from New Jersey. Is so tied in with high school coaches in the state of Georgia, and now you take his experience from Ole Miss. You know, I think his connections are already. uh, You know, that they're going to play a huge dividends for for Michigan. I expect Michigan this twenty twenty four cycle. Partridge is going to have his hands all over it. I expect them to be heavy, heavy involved in the southeast.
3: I think Partridge is the guy that kind of pushes them towards a top ten recruiting class. We we continue to bring up, you know, where the Wolverines finished in, in 2023, set number 18. And it's kind of you kind of scratch your head. How does that happen? But man, Cooper, I mean, you wouldn't you would know Chris Partridge better than than I do, but I've I've heard some stories. <laughs> I've seen his resume. I mean, you pull it up on 24-7 sports, primary recruiter on Rashawn Gary, primary recruiter on Cesar Ruiz, primary recruiter on Uh, you know, Kareem Walker, primary recruiter on, I mean, you just go up and down. I mean, this this guy gets it, gets it done. And I think if you're trying to think about it or what an interesting way to, to look at it would be, remember when Raylan Wilson, our our five-star linebacker from, from the 2023 cycle was committed to Michigan, right. Ends up flipping to Georgia, signing with the Bulldogs. Like I think Chris Partridge makes that, that decision a lot harder for Raylan Wilson, right? I, I think it's not just an easy layup for the Bulldogs. Um, and I think that's that just speaks to
2: the type of recruiter that Partridge is. He's a dog, man. And we can talk all day about Chris Partridge. He is, uh, He's a go-getter. That's, that's the best way I can describe him. Sharon Moore, on the other hand, those guys couldn't be any more different. Sharon Moore is just like steady hand you know, the way that he kind of approaches. I love the the little time that I was around him. You get the sense that this is a guy very, very confident in his preparation. Now he's going to get full-time play calling duties at Michigan. We kind of talked about it. I mean, Sheryl Moore was very involved with this offense when Josh Gattis is, was there. Josh Gaddis, he gets the hardware and then he ends up getting uh, hired at Miami. He's out of there in one year. So, We'll see what happens with Michigan, Jerome Moore, Chris Partridge. I like what Harbaugh is doing. They got to get back to to getting nasty on the recruiting trail. And, man, when Harbaugh came from the league to college, it was like hair on fire. Just a total disruptor. Had his shirt off, drinking expired milk, climbing trees, doing all types of weird stuff. Like, I want that guy back. Come on, man. That's what we need. Sounds like a, sounds like a scouting report for Shane Beamer there. Jeez. Absolutely. Hey, you know, what's funny. I have the story about Harbaugh. I was in the, um, I was in the cafeteria and we, we had this milk machine, which is the only facility I'd ever been in where we had a milk machine, but it had 2%. It had whole milk and it had chocolate milk and Harbaugh was all about whole milk. And I'm I I go up and it's just me and I have my cup and I'm I'm pouring two percent. Harball walks up and he puts his cup under and he's pouring whole milk and he just goes psh, shakes his head. And I remember I, like I was only there for like a month or two at that point. I was like, I called my parents, I was like, I don't know if this guy likes me. They're like, Well, what's wrong? I was like, Well. Huh? he's a whole I've milk been, guy. I've been <laughs> like, why do you guys have me drinking 2%? <laughs> right. Like, What's wrong with you, dude? I can see him being like, wow, I made the wrong decision. But anyway, nice little insight on, on Harbaugh there. Let's stick in the Midwest, Drew. Let's talk a little bit about Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman. And this was kind of a quick search in, in terms of what they did. They end up promoting tight end coach, Jarrett Parker, but I think you can learn a little bit about Notre Dame from it from an administrative standpoint because after Tommy Reese leaves for Alabama, they bring in Colin Klein. That doesn't end up being a fit. Not really sure why. Then Andy Ludwig comes in from Utah, and I really thought like, hey, I really like this fit. I, I, I thought this was a really good ID for Notre Dame. Two point eight million dollar buyout, which is steep for an offensive coordinator for Andy Ludwig at Utah. Some stories come out. Pete Thamel, ESPN, reports that that number was somewhat of an obstacle for Notre Dame in the process. Notre Dame refutes that to a point, but I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? And if you're Marcus Freeman and Andy Ludwig is actually your guy, and your program and administration doesn't want to pony up the money, I mean, what do you do, right? I mean, that that tells you something. You're not really committed to winning at the highest level. And if that's the case, then Marcus Freeman's got one hand tied behind his back. And I hate that for him because he is tenacious. He's putting his best foot forward. He's recruiting his absolute tail off for the Irish right now. And then you got an AD that says, hey, $2.8 million. It's a little steep. You've been on Notre Dame's campus. You see all those buildings. You know what the endowment's like. You're telling me you don't have $2.8 million? You got that contract with NBC that you're sitting on? Get out of here. If I was Marcus Freeman, I'd be like, you got to be kidding me. And then yeah. we heard about this. Hey, why Brian Kelly leave? And there was so what, what do you what do you point to? It was like the investment and like the nutritional program. And anyway, it came back to being like, hey, am I going to have everything that I think we need for us to be successful at the highest level? Brian Kelly was probably sick of getting in January, getting his butt kicked by Alabama, by Clemson, by these teams that just felt like they had a little bit more. And if you're Marcus Freeman, listen, everybody at Notre Dame is going to downplay this and say, Jared Parker was our guy. We felt good about him. We went through our process. But this is this is super telling to me from a Notre Dame standpoint. And honestly, if this is true, it's inexcusable on part of the administration. And I feel for Marcus Freeman because that should not be the situation that he's in. We're not going to give you everything you need to win, but go win. That's not fair.
3: I think the bigger – well, I'm not saying this is the bigger issue, but I, I think the more concerning thing, if I'm Notre Dame fan, Harry Heestan, the, the veteran O-line coach, retires. That and one hurts. You, you brought this up, and I don't want to steal your thunder here, but, I mean, I did cover Notre Dame for a little bit, lived up there in South Bend, um, and he was kind of the guy. And, and he's did a stint with the, the Chicago Bears, came back, but, man, his – the list of guys he worked with while in South Bend, Ronnie Stanley, Nick Martin, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, Alex Barr, Sam Mustafer. I mean, this guy is kind of like the goat when it comes to uh, coaching up offensive linemen. So I do think that, that is a, a, a notable loss. And I guess this always kind of happens when you get to the second year of a, of a tenure. We're seeing this at Miami, right? You know, Mario brings some, there's some holdover or, after after you've been there for a year it, it, in the tenure, like things change, and, and Marcus Freeman seems to be going through that as well. Um, and I don't know, you know, who's going to come out on uh, on the right side in terms of of that. But he stand Notre Dame losing him that that's a big deal. He might not be known as like this ace recruiter, uh, but I think he's a good evaluator, and, and more importantly, he's
2: a, a great developer um, up front. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that one up because that was one you and I were talking about before the show. And it's like, man, this guy's developmental track record, what he's done at, at Notre Dame and even the class that they brought in this year, guys like Charles Shagasaw, Sam Pendleton, right, who's our big boy from Carolina that we got to see, in uh, Sullivan Apshire right? They, he did a really good job. He's got a formula similar to how we talked about Matt Rule that is a proven formula. And I think he was one of the, the commodities at Notre Dame for Marcus Freeman that was a lot of comfort because you knew what you were getting, Harry stand. It was going to be a position that was really well coached. It was going to be a high standard. And then in terms of what they were bringing in, there were going to be guys that you felt really confident fit that room.
3: I feel like any lineman he got his hands on, like the floor was elevated.
2: Smart, tough, competitive, big. and big. Right. And yeah, maybe there were some limitations with some of those guys, but he got the most out of them. That's a huge one for Marcus Freeman. We talked about the offense coordinator like to me. Yeah, I'm I'm more concerned about he staying leaving. It's the identity of their program, that offensive line room. It has been right. So that's kind of been where that's that's been their bread and butter. Those are the guys that they rely on. You know, the quarterback play hasn't been exceptional by any means. Their identity has been a strong offensive line that they can kind of grind people down. So if they don't have that room right, it creates more problems for for Marcus Freeman. So we'll see what happens there. Drew, we're going to shelf Miami. We're going to talk about them either later this week or next week. Hey, if you're a fan of the show, and you're a Miami fan, you're going to want to stay tuned. We might have a big guest here in the future. I'm not going to name names, but... Texas A&M SEC West, Drew. You're excited about this one, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you kind of dish out the news over here and why it's important.
3: Yeah, I mean, no one is no one's talking about this, but uh, when I saw it come across the football scoop ticker, I was like, all right, this is a big deal. Uh, Texas A&M Jimbo Fisher promotes Bryant Gross armiento to a full. Uh, not a full-time, on-field role as the secondary coach there in college station. And and they call him BGA. I mean, if you are deep into the recruiting, you've heard that name before. But this is a guy that has been at Georgia. Um, He has been obviously at Texas A&M, played at Wake Forest. Um, But he is a South Florida native, a Broward County native, um, his mother actually works at American Heritage Plantation, which is the school that just produced uh, Brandon Ennis, and is the school that served as a, a stopping point for Sony Michelle, Patrick Sertan, Tyson Campbell, um, Brian Burns, all those guys. So this is, I think, a a very notable development when it comes to just kind of the recruiting scene in South Florida, and more specifically in Broward County, and I know Brandon Ennis, Mark Fletcher, those guys just left American Heritage, but, man, they got a wave of youngsters coming in. Raja Bell, former NBA player, a lot of people remember that name. His son's a a young, young quarterback there. They just had two kids, Cooper, like two freshmen, uh, open up their track seasons with like 10 fours in the 100-meter dash, which was insane. Uh, two young kids, and and that led to a few different offers. But uh, BGA now being able to go out on the road um, and, and, and recruit, that is certainly a, a notable deal. I think if you're a, a Miami fan, I think if you're a Florida fan, if you're an FSU fan, um, something to something to remember once we get into uh, December and January because BGA, again, he's very tight end. Lots of kids like him. So just a notable one for uh, the Aggies. And, and, and someone, I, someone reported that there was even NFL interest for, for BGA, you know, he could have went that, that other route, like Derek Ansley or something like that. So uh, I like that hire for Texas A&M, especially if they keep James Coley there as well. Uh, Cause then I have two veteran recruiters
2: down in South Florida. What were the odds of a Raja Bell shout out this morning? Trying to get him on the pod, man. Trying to get him on the pod. He works in the
3: CBS network. His son, Diabell, young 2026 quarterback, just picked up his first two offers. He's going to be a guy
1: scored
3: super, like four scored like 43 points in a varsity basketball game last month too.
2: Super savvy role player in the NBA. I mean, he was always a guy. Like he he was. God, I think he played for the Jazz for a while, right? Gosh, I guess he been, yeah. He all was, defensive team. He was so good. Just one of those. There's so many good role players in the NBA that just. Yeah, we don't remember right but Bell got leandro barbosa yeah another guy just played on championship teams you know Bell, man what a shout out there hey uh, on on this cat that a m has promoted i mean what his resume is pretty pretty slim huh he was at georgia wake forest started in the recruiting department at wake forest that's quite a rise right there, man.
3: Yeah, I, and that that's why I, I don't know where I was reading somewhere, but but someone noted that there were some some NFL looks as well. Um but you know, I think when you're one of those guys and you get you get put on the field, man, all right? Like number one, you got to produce as a as a recruiter, but you also got to produce as a um you know, your unit's got to the farewell there on the field or there's going to be a lot of people pointing fingers at you.
2: All right, Drew closing thoughts as we put a bow on this show to start the week. Hey, guess what? We're going to, we're going to see each other in person next weekend on Sunday, man, in Atlanta. Fired up. Got a little event that we get to go to, a little live eval for the boys. Drew, final thoughts for today's show. Put you on the I, spot. Y'all good? I'm all good, man. I'm all
3: good. I'm I'm trying to power through as much uh, Georgia tape as I can before we get to Sunday because that's um, that's so where we're going to see a lot of, a lot of the best from the Peach State. There's going to be kids from Alabama, kids from Tennessee, to kids from uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. It's it's kind of one of the the better camps. Um, I'm excited because you were there at what what school is it at again?
2: Carrollton High School.
3: To be honest, I haven't even booked my flight yet.
2: So yeah, get on that, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> Carrollton.
3: Get... But Carrollton has the indoor. And last year I was solo at this at this event. It was just me. And it was like 30 degrees and no, it was like 38 degrees. So it wasn't snowing but raining. And I was uh I struggled in, in terms of trying to get my bearings in that that type of setting. So I, at least we know Carrollton has the IPF. So I won't I won't be standing there with an umbrella.
2: I do think that it is supposed to be warmer this weekend. I know there's a little bit uh some heat coming down at least in Alabama in the southeast. So We'll see what happens. Hopefully, that carries over in Georgia. It was a little bit chilly last time. Drew, favorite Jimmy Buffett song you saw in, uh, saw live this past week? Oh, he did
3: come Monday. That was that was pretty awesome. Uh, the show was just, you know, was what I thought it would be—like good acoustics in the in the in the arena. Um, it was it was it was fun, man. You got to see him if you get a chance. I think he's adding more tour dates to his this calendar.
2: What's the median in terms of age? We the- we were the youngest people. Love that
3: <laughs> we- old soul. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, guys, we appreciate you listening to the twenty four seven sports football recruiting podcast. As always, I got to remind you: make sure that you subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating as well. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Got a special guest. Coming on Wednesday or Thursday, Thursday's show. We're pretty fired, fired up about that. That is Jim Nagy, Senior Bowl Director. He will be joining us on Thursday's show. Going to be a great show. Little NFL draft talk. We'll talk about the Senior Bowl. We'll get into a little bit of scouting philosophy as well. So we're excited about him. And guys, if you enjoyed the interviews, uh, Bruce Feldman, Lance Jim Nagy coming up. We're excited. I think we got a great group of guests over the next couple weeks. And hopefully uh, we'll continue that as we bring on a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, media, coaches, personnel, a little bit of everything. Hopefully you can find it here. But guys, for our director of scouting, Andrew Ivins, your producer, Lance Quinn, I'm Christian Stagnan. See you tomorrow.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.